Today, we have the honor of hearing from one of our Global Outreach partners who will be speaking to us this morning from God's Word. And so, I'm so excited to have C.S. Robinson with us this morning. And if you don't know C.S. or his wife, Faith, and their three wonderful children, C.S. is newer to Boston, newer, but he and his wife and their team are going to be ministering at the campus of Northeastern University starting up in a couple of weeks. And we are so excited about what God is doing through Chi Alpha and all the ministries that are happening in and around the Boston area. This is why we're so excited. Every year, in fact, in the next couple of weeks, hundreds of thousands of students will come from around the world and take up residence in this area. It leaves us with this giant opportunity to reach them with the life-saving and life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many of our partners who are even gathered right now this morning among us are doing this. They're reaching students in the Boston area. And so this morning, we get to hear from C.S. And, and would you join me in welcoming C.S. as he comes forward to deliver God's word? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Taking a few seconds to put away my masks. <laughs> How are you guys doing this morning? It's been a beautiful day. We went out for a coffee between the services, 73 outside. Wow. Wow, that's great. To give, to give perspective to that, last summer it was 105 where we lived. We would come from Houston. So we're just grateful when there's the 85 or 90. You're like, praise the Lord. It's a good weather here. Hey, good to be here. My name is C.S. And uh, my wife, Faith, is not here, although... We know that once you marry, you're no longer two but one in that sense. She's with me, right. even though you can't see her. I do have three girls. They are Sarah, Macy, and Ella. They're seven, five, and three. <clears throat> They're not here with me today. But, uh, you know, you get to hear her preaching. She's a better preacher and a gollier than me. So you get to hear her in a month or so. I think she'll be preaching here in a month or so. so but my friend CJ is here with me. She is a part, uh, he is part of our team. And him and his wife, Kimberly, moved about a month and a half ago. I'm honored to have him here with today. And also, thank you for all the Chi Alpha um, um, pastors and directors. I'm going to want an honor to be here with you guys, uh, with you guys today. Praise the Lord, and thank you to Mount Hope Church for your partnership with us. And you, got, you guys have been so generous, and thank you for all that you do for God and His kingdom. We cannot be here without you guys. Thank you, and thank you again. So, before any uh, further going, let's start with the scripture for today. That is the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. <clears throat> I'm reading from ESV. It is not that God speaks to me, speak to me especially through ESV. It's just a preference. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chirza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Thank you for the reality that you long to speak to us, Lord. And the obvious long um, to 
to your children running to you. And this morning we are running to you, Lord. Would you speak to us? Uh, you know everything about us, the things that we think about, the actions, the things that we do. You know everything about us. There's nothing that's hidden for your eyes. So we come before you with such sober sense that you're going to speak to us. So would you speak to us? Open our hearts and minds that we will receive your word and we will um, uh, put it into practice so that we can be, become more like you, Lord. We'll love you. Amen. Amen. So this has been, a, I'm honored to be part of the series that the pastor from the Mount Hope Church are going, I think the name of the series is Good Soil, and uh, grateful to be part of that series here. So what we're going to do today is to, this sermon will have two particular points that we will learn together, but uh, before that I would like to talk a little bit of a cultural nuances in which this particular passage has been written There'll be two cultural points and then maybe a lesson from there and then we will jump into two points and maybe a little bit of preaching at the end. Uh, preaching is what I call preaching. It's nothing but proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. That is the preaching aspect. Everything else is a teaching to me. So Jesus, so let's look where it starts here. Who are the people in this particular passage? We see Jesus there and then we see disciples. Well, Luke, the historian, does not mention the term disciples, or he says 12 men. It's like the usual 12, you know. There's no big deal here. And then he says there were also some women, and then he qualifies them. And there were three names there, Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Chusa, Herod's household manager, I'm assuming, you know, um, you may want to hang out with her. I mean, Joanna, right? Joanna, um, uh, Herod's household manager, she's the one who has the purse. You know, she, she has a wallet. So you want to make sure that she's part of your team. And then it's Susanna. Yeah, Susanna is just Susanna. So these were three women there. And uh, according to this passage, there is something going on. It, it, just know that the, uh, there were just three women chose to be with him. And uh, it says that these women were healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So in order to understand this passage, maybe uh, as you were thinking, why these women are with him? Isn't it the time of Jesus? Didn't Paul tell the women to stay quiet in the church? What's going on here? So let's, let's look into two points here. The first one is, there's an article published in 1998, 1998 on PBS called The First Christians. In that particular article, it says this. It needs to be emphasized that the formal elimination of women from official roles of institutional leadership did not eliminate women's actual presence and importance to the Christian tradition, although it certainly seriously damaged their capacity to contribute fully. That simply means that, culturally speaking, women could still be around and be present wherever they chose to be. However, they don't have the capacity to have institutional leadership or official roles. It is from that they were eliminated, but they were uh, much welcome to be part of things. So that's the number one uh, context I want to bring here. So these women chose to be with Jesus because nothing was stopping them. Meaning, these women were with him, not for any, any official roles. 
They were not seeking leadership among, among the women in Judea or Galilee. That's not the reason why they were there. They chose to be with Jesus because they wanted to be with him. Point number two is that, so now, now there's a different context here. Did you know Luke is the only Gentile New Testament writer? He's the only Gentile New Testament writer. Why is that important here? And this will tell you why it's important here. They have Jewish morning prayers uh, have this particular thing that they pray every day. And, and it is, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who has created me a human, not beast, a man and not a woman, an Israelite and not a Gentile. This is something that they prayed every morning as part of their customary. And being coming from a Gentile background, Luke knew what does it mean to be a Gentile. And also being a, a woman at the time we had put in the same place with Gentile, he understood what does it mean to be a woman in that context. So they had things in common. These Jewish people, you know, just grateful to the Lord that I'm not a Gentile or I'm not a woman. Luke, the Gentile, sees the women, and he understands something, the powerful gospel of Jesus here. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is this, that uh, it is not anything about you or me that qualifies us to be with Jesus. He met us, and we have been delivered, and there's nothing else you can do now but to be with him. That is the story of women here. There, Jesus came into our life. He changed our life. And we want to be with him. Nothing, can going to, nothing is going to stop that. So that's a side point there. Well, I would love to go into this sermon points here. The number one. So what were these women doing in this passage? We mentioned Jesus was there. The 12 men were there. And there's some women here. And these women, what were they actually doing? It says that they were physically present with Jesus. That's number one. There were two things that they were doing. They were present with him, number one. And verse three says that they were provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. These are the two things that they were doing. They were with him, number one, and they were providing for Jesus and his disciples. So we will look into that. What, what are we talking here? So these women chose to be with Jesus in every, uh, in a very physical sense. I mean, I wish if uh, if Jesus is here in Belmont today, and I can be in His presence. I can, you know, I can just walk very close to Him, and I can hang out around Him. You know, I mean, we all have these people in our life. You, I, I will remember um, showing up to this revered, uh, very respected theologian. And uh, I had a chance to see him this close. When I have read his books, heard his sermons, and for the first time I am meeting him. And he leans up to me and says hi, and I cannot say a word. I'm like, I felt like an idiot. I'm like, oh, five seconds, I cannot say a word. And then here he just moves on. I was like, I don't know what just happened. So here it is, Jesus, where there, and the people actually were with him. They were present, man. That would be so fantastic. So we read that these women were healed of evil spirits and infirmities. They chose to be with Jesus because they have experienced the love and care of Jesus in their own lives. 
So why were why these men these women choose to be with him? Because they have experienced the love and care of Jesus in their own lives. That's great, CS. But what does it mean for us to be with Jesus today? Well, Jesus is not here physically. He's not here. Although his spirit is present. But he's not here physically with us today. So how do we do that? Is it possible for us to be with Jesus today at all? Or how do we have intimacy with Jesus in our very busy life? Is it possible? Psalm 27, we read this way. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So this is David pouring out his heart to be in God's presence. So in 2021, August 15th, what does it look like to be with Jesus? I would say it is our intentional choices to have a real devotional time on a daily basis is what it's going to look like to be with Jesus today. There is no Jesus present. There is no Jesus and disciples walking on the street here, but yet we have been, uh, um, we have been given the responsibility and also given the opportunity to seek him and to be with him. Now we say, well, what do I get? Well, I mean, why do we need to be with Jesus? You know, why do we need him? He's present. He's, he's at my house. He's with me all the time. I may work in my car. Well, why do we need to have this intentional time with him? This might, this question might give insight into the reason why we don't give much time or much weight about spending time with Jesus. In the story, these women are with him because they wanted to be with him. The passage does not give any indication that they were with Jesus to get something from him. We, Tim Keller says this, when you come to Jesus, you get what? You get Jesus. That's it. When we come to Jesus, we just get Jesus. So when we, uh, when we desire him, when we go with Jesus, we only just get him. Now the question is, isn't that the reason why we don't go to him? <laughs> well, I mean, if, if Jesus would give me something else more than him, you know, the things that my, you know, the desires of my heart, the things that I need. I mean, doesn't have any feelings. Does he know how he feels? He doesn't care. He doesn't seem to care all that. I don't want to just go to Jesus to be with him. But think about it. If Jesus promised more than that, we would have actually gone to him. But... But the reality is that with Jesus, we get everything. All right, so we go to Jesus to get Jesus. These women were not expecting anything else but joyfully with him. This Jesus changed my life. He, he loved us. He cared. And he delivered me from my struggle for years. And he cast out the spirit that was ruling in my life. Oh, I don't want anything from him. I just want to be with him. I think that's, that's a lot of our story. He delivered us, so we want to be with him. So what happens when we are intentionally with Jesus? So why do we need to be with Jesus? Because, you know, because he delivered us. And why? What happens when we are intentionally with Jesus? So 
In the practice of intentional, extravagant time with Jesus, our hearts learn to know him personally, to listen to his voice and trust him. We became people who know him. So that is what, we, what, what happens when we are with him. We learn his ways and we understand his character and he, we can trust his voice, right? So we become people who know him. If you are, uh, you know, I mean, there's a passage in the book of Luke, I think, and, uh, or, or one of the Gospels. It says that uh, there were people come to Jesus, tells him, hey, we healed people. We prophesied in your name. Do you remember the time, you know, 1,500 people came to the Lord? It was me who preached that sermon. But Jesus looks at them and tells them, what? I don't know you. I mean, if there is any passage in the Bible that terrifies me, that's the one. That just terrifies me every time I read. Oh, my gosh. These people totally believed that they were doing it for Jesus. They, they really, really believed that. So what's happening here? See, our problem is that we know the capacity of Jesus, but we don't have a real understanding of his character. So the capacity of Jesus is what we know Jesus can heal people. Jesus can change situations. Jesus can do all the things that he wants to do. So we have this understanding and desire for his capacity, but we do not know his character. So we cannot choose to see, think about husbands and wife, girlfriends, boyfriends, fiance. You guys know this, that uh, you choose to be with your spouse or a partner because you want to be with them. There's no particular reason for it. You. Um, so in that being with together, what happens? We learn to know. We know by being with, if that makes sense, right? Being with. So we know each other by being with. So it is important for us to understand that... Um, being with Jesus would help us to know his character more than his capacity. So we are to trust his nature and character or his ability to do things. This is important. So when we know him, this knowledge and union with Jesus will start to permeate our mind, our thinking, and consequently everything that we do. So being with Jesus is important because it is ultimately going to decide what I'm going to do with my life. So not being with Jesus also has its consequences because I'm just doing what everyone else is doing or what the people told me to do, what the media told me to do, what, you know, what the popular culture told me to do. So there is a distance. So when you walk with Jesus, when I am with him, my actions are different. My choices are different because my thoughts and my, um, and my character has been shaped by the nature and character of God. So it means that we begin to reflect on and through everything that we think through the nature and character of God. It's not just the things that we do. To, so we, we learn to practice the ways of Jesus. The idea of freedom is thought through his character and lived accordingly. The idea of justice, the idea of mercy, the idea of relationship, the idea of wealth, the idea of sex, all these things will be thought through the nature and character of God. 
So what happens when I spend time with the Lord? Two things happen. Number one, I, uh, it gives me a chance to be intimate, intimate with Jesus. Number, one. Number two, and out of this intimacy with Jesus, an overflow of his character through me. My, my things have changed. My thinking patterns have changed. Now I am a different person. So when we think of these things, we will be thinking, what does Jesus say about these things? Being with Jesus is an intentional choice on a regular basis, resulting in real intimacy with Jesus and an overflow of his character through us. Two things happen when we are with Jesus. Number one, real intimacy with the Lord. And number two, our thoughts have been changed. Our character has been changed. It actually gives us a great um, um, center for our actions. How do we do? Turns and changes. Point number two. So, point number two is, is this women provider for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. That's always good, right? So, uh, this is an indication of what happens when you are with Jesus. So, when we, when we are with Jesus, we see what, uh, what he sees. Not only what he sees, we started to see how he sees it. Not only what he sees, but how he sees, how he sees it. These women were not just hanging out with Jesus uh, and, the, and the 12 men. They wanted to be with Jesus, to be with him. They joyfully participated in every aspect of his ministry. See, when you are with him, doing for him becomes a joy. When you are with Jesus, doing for him becomes a joy. But think about it, when you're not with him, all the, all the things that we're doing, it just becomes a pain. And, uh, and it, it just a chore. It's just, it just another work to do. But when we are with him, everything that we do have, uh, will become a joy. What we see here is his women providing for Jesus and his disciples out of, out of their means. Can you imagine this with me for a second? These women provided for Jesus uh, were with him a few days ago, and they have witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 men. They were just there. These women were present uh, as Jesus was doing their miracles. So, but the cool thing is that the bigness of Jesus did not stop them from the responsibility of doing for him. Right? The bigness of Jesus did not stop them, the responsibility of seeing a need and meeting it. So I was, I was just thinking that, you know, when we, uh, sometimes we cap our, you know, um, our doings for the Lord because we believe that well, it is not going to make any difference. <laughs> well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal of my $100? What's the big deal of my 30 minutes, right? What's the big deal of... All these things that we get to partner with and serve alongside with Jesus. But we sometimes we think, well, that's, man, Jesus, he's a big God. He's a great God. He has all the resources that he needs. Right? So sometimes his bigness and his um, uh, wonderful resources that he has keeps us from being fruitful for his kingdom. Being wanting to invest in God's kingdom. But these women saw the need and met it. 
when you are with Jesus, we're not just hanging out. We, with Jesus, we are looking at him, and then we're looking around and seeing a need and trying to meet it quickly. Well, well, the reason is that when you're with him, doing for him is a joy. It's a joy. So these women took responsibility for the need they saw. See, when we are with Jesus, we are naturally kingdom responsible people. When we are with Jesus, we are kingdom responsible people. We are people with responsibility. These women took responsibility to meet the need they saw. They acted generously. What we need to understand is that, you know, when we see a need, people can, well, I don't have what it takes to, to contribute. That's a natural tendency we all have. Well, I don't have what it takes. It's like, hey, Pastor, just not for somebody, hey, would you want to serve in this capacity? Well, Pastor, just you know that. I do not have to do that. You know that. I know that. We all know that. How do I do this? Right? So we instantly think about what I can give, right? But responsibility is not, it's not. The responsibility is that you have this sense that happens in your heart, I'm going to make it happen. That is the posture of your heart that it comes, I am going to do it. I saw the need. And I am, I'm going to get up and do it. And as she gets up and do it, God helps you. That is generally the case, okay? You think about what happens uh, when Jesus, Jesus uh, goes back to heaven, Holy Spirit comes down, Peter of all the people, standing and speaking now. He's like, man, what's happening here? These crazy things are happening and all of a sudden, Peter stands up and says something. Well, I, you know, Peter might have thought, I'm the last person to say, you know, because a couple of months ago, I was like, I don't know Jesus. Who is Jesus is? So this is a reality. When we step out in faith, when we see a need and we, with willing heart, get up to ready, and God blesses it. This is always the case. You don't have to have all the resources to have that posture of wanting to serve and being responsible for it. These women took responsibility to meet the need they saw. They acted generously. So this is the key here. Point number two, generosity is a natural outworking of kingdom responsibility. Generosity is a natural outcome of kingdom responsibility. When you see a need in the kingdom, you take responsibility for it, and you become generous naturally. So when I talk about generosity, we're not talking about all the money. That's not what we're talking about at all, actually. What I am trying to say is that we become, when you see a broken person on the street, you start thinking about the generous love of Jesus. You take responsibility for that person, then you start seeing the generous love of Jesus that you have experienced. Now you can give it to that person, right? When you're at your workplace, you saw somebody having in, in trouble for several years or whatever, then you see them, you take responsibility, but you saw a need, and you feel, I need to take, I need to do something about it. And as you move, the generous love and grace and mercy that Jesus has shown to you one time, it started to come out of you. I wasn't particularly talking about support or money. I'm talking about the nature of generosity comes naturally when you are a responsible person for the sake of Jesus. 
Jesus need people who are responsible. You think about this. I, I, I just wonder all the time. Well, by the time Jesus was leaving, after spending three and a half years with his disciples, you know, man, it, was a, it wasn't a perfect time to leave. Well, Peter is, Peter, you know, one of the closest, it's not, it's like, dude, I mean, he's just so depressed. I'm done with this. I'm just going back to my nets, you know, I'm going back to my old life. This is like three and a half years. Jesus is about getting ready to go to his father. And then at that point, he actually, well, you, you wait until the Holy Spirit comes, but it was not a perfect time for him to leave in a lot of ways, right? You think about this small group. Well, I... Yeah, we think everything is small group sitting, okay? So if this happens after, the, after spending one year, there's no way he's going to be small group leader next year. <laughs> That's not happening. Because I spent an year with this guy, and toward the end of it, he's like, hey, where are you at? Uh, man, it's been a long night, and I was just partying out all night. What? Then he's immediately out. I mean, I'm thinking, well, I need to spend another two years with this dude now. But Jesus was not doing that. He, he, he actually gives responsibility to people. Hey, guys, it's on you now. You go wait there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you, and then you're going to go out. See, the, this, is, this is kingdom principle. Jesus doesn't do anything without the people who take responsibility. Okay, so if you want to, if you want to see something in Belmont, not only Pastor Justin take responsibility, we should take responsibility. All of us. It is on us. Generosity is a natural outworking of kingdom responsibility. See, we become generous in all areas of our life when we are kingdom responsible people. Not only just giving our resources, but we become generous in patience. We become generous in loving one another. We become generous in being kind to one another. We become generous in all sorts of things when we are kingdom responsible people. And we become generous with our kindness, mercy, and everything that we can think of. So this is the two points to bring it to home. There are two points that we talked about today. Number one, um, intentional time, with, time spent with Jesus results in intimacy with Jesus and an overflow of his character through us. Through us. Worship team can actually come back. And the second point is that generosity is the natural outworking of kingdom, of kingdom responsibility. Would you please stand with me as the, as the worship team comes up? See, all the things that we just heard, we have, we have learned some things from the life of these women here. But Jesus is the real hero here. Okay? We don't do anything because women, uh, women or men or disciples did it. We do things because Jesus did it. He is the actual, he's the real role model here. He says this, that we, when you think about, you know, intentional time spent with Jesus resulting in intimacy with Jesus and an overflow of his character through us, we need to think, who did that first? Jesus did that first on our behalf. Let's think about our King Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My point is that he did this intentionally so that we can have intimacy with him again. It's like uh, Jesus looked down to the earth and saw, see us, this life is so broken. He needs mercy. He needs grace. So he took the step. He intentionally chose to come to this world to redeem me. And that is why we intentionally choose to spend time with him. Because he did that for my sake very intentionally. Having taken the shame of sin upon him on our behalf, he shows generous grace, generous mercy, and generous love toward us on the cross. His generosity has been displayed on the cross on our behalf. He said, hey, how much more I can give? How much more? How much more? What else can I do to show how much I love you? So generosity is the heart of Jesus. He, had, he came to this world to show us that. I see us, I love you so much, and I'm, I'm generous with my, with my love for you. And I'm generous with my mercy for you. He showed that and he displayed that on our behalf. So as you, as you reflect on these things, would you take a moment to ask Jesus, where is your intimacy with the Lord? The Jesus who came to this world to be with you, to be with us. Where is our responsibility to be with him? Where are we? Is Jesus part of our life at all? Is he, is he anywhere near? Is there any interest in me to be with him? Or maybe, maybe more particularly, what am I doing to be with him? Also, maybe you can, maybe we can ask this question, Lord. What is it that Lord is asking you to take responsibility for? The area of your life, maybe it's a family or work or serving at a church, at this church, or maybe a, I do not know. Jesus knows that and you know it. What is the area that God is asking us to take responsibility and, uh, and let me tell you this, when he shows you a need and when you stand up to take responsibility, he's a God who won't let you just go figure it out yourself. He comes around, he comes right behind you and help you do it. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not telling you, go do it. He shows that in front of you and he waits for you to, are you going to take responsibility for it? But at the very moment he does it, you do it. And he comes around and helps you move forward. So the thing that you're terrified to take responsibility of, Jesus is asking you to take responsibility because he's going to help you fulfill that. He's going to help you do that. And he's going to give you generous spirit to do that. I do not know, maybe there's so much patience that you need to take the responsibility. Maybe there's so much love for your neighbor. 
maybe there's so much um, ability to, you know, just uh, soak things. Well, he's going to help you. But you got to take responsibility to that. Father, we come before you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who um, intentionally chooses us every single time. And you long to be with your children. That is us, and that is all of the students who are going to come to Boston and, and all the people here in Belmont and the Boston area. Jesus, we know that you long to hear from them. Would you help us, as people here who are here today, would you help us to desire your intimacy, Lord? And we have put in so many places our intimacy. Not much on you, Lord. Would you forgive of us that? Would you forgive us, Lord? And would you create in us a desire to be intimate with you? And also, would you make us people of responsibility for your sake, Jesus, that when we see a need and we will be willing to step up and do it, would you help us do that, that we will be people of responsibility? We thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus.